Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to e-commerce conversations, a podcast by practical e-commerce. This is Kerry Murdoch with Practical E-Commerce. Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations. Every day, it seems, we read of an internet-based company acquiring another one, or raising capital, or expanding into a new segment. Mergers and acquisitions for internet companies are booming. To explain it all to us, we're joined by Evan Klein, a managing director of Berkery Noise, a leading M&A advisory firm. Well, Evan, thank you for your time today. No, I appreciate it, Kerry. Thanks for the opportunity to talk with you. Evan, your company, for which you're the managing director, a managing director, Berkery Noise, an investment firm, just released its mergers and acquisitions trend report for the online and mobile industry for the first six months of this year. My, my first question for you today, Evan, is what is the state of mergers and acquisitions for that segment? It's actually been a, a great first half of the year. Uh, in our report, we noted that the transaction volume in the first half of 2014 increased by over 7% from the last six months of 2013, and it went from uh, over 1,100 transactions to 1,227 transactions for the first six months of the year. When we look at transaction volume for the first half of 2014, it rose by 57% over the second half of 2013. It went from $40.8 billion to over $64 billion. And another interesting fact, when we look at the median revenue multiple, although that remained constant at 2.3 times, when we look at the median EBITDA multiple, that increased from 9.5 times in the second half of 2013 to 12 and a half times in the first half of 2014. And as you know, uh, this report focuses on a number of segments, including e-commerce, e-content, uh, and e-marketing. Uh, the most active segment during the six-month period was the e-marketing and search segment, which had 336 transactions for the six-month period, and that was a 17% increase over the last six months of 2013. When you say... When you say a transaction, so there's 1,200 total transactions, what exactly do you mean by a transaction? Well, we track uh, in this particular sector, you know, every uh, transaction where there's a buyer and a seller uh, and where there's a disclosed price. And so that would count, again, if you look at sort of the largest transaction that happened in this sector, it was Facebook acquiring WhatsApp. So that would be considered one transaction. So it's not it's not like the issuance of debt. It's a actual acquisition when we're there. Right. This is uh, these are M and A transactions that we're accounting. Tell us some of of those. Thank you for that summary. By the way, uh, of those of those twelve hundred, the twelve the twelve hundred roughly for the first six months. What are some that stand out? You just mentioned Facebook's acquisition of WhatsApp. What are some other notable names that perhaps our listeners 
uh, may have heard of? Well, that one was, you know, by far the largest. That was over $16 billion in value. And over and above that, there was another $3.5 billion in stock that's vested over time. A transaction I think a lot of your community might uh, know of is, you know, Priceline acquired OpenTable for $2.4 billion. That was a very large transaction, the second largest that happened in the market. And then similarly, uh, TripAdvisor acquired La Fourchette, which was a European-based online booking platform, and that transaction was for $140 million. The other interesting fact that we looked at was if we looked at the last 24 months, who was the most you know, active acquirer? And it turns out that eBay made eight acquisitions over the last 24 months in the sector that we uh, – focused on for this six-month period. Our, uh, our audience, of course, Evan, for the most part, our audience would be e-commerce merchants that are selling physical products on kind of a one-off transactional basis. So the, the examples you, you just mentioned there are some notable transactions. You mentioned uh, the WhatsApp acquisition, uh, one of Priceline's acquisitions and TripAdvisor's acquisitions, that would be uh, kind of mobile travel-related sectors, if I could use that term. What do you see for just pure play e-commerce merchants that are selling, phys- selling and shipping physical products? What's the state of that market? Well, I think in general it's a good market uh, for M&A. Again, both financial buyers and strategic buyers are flush with cash, so I think that's a very good platform to work off of. And we think when you look at the companies that are being purchased, uh, most, if not all, have a, a good mobile solution slash strategy. You know, we think that's a very important channel for an e-commerce company, and ideally one that uh, your customers have focused on and have established you know, a strong strategy. As it relates specifically to e-commerce of, of goods, um, Andy Dunn recently wrote a, a very interesting article, and Andy is the CEO of Bonobos, which is an online e-commerce company. Now, he does a great job of summarizing what he thinks and what we actually believe, agree with in terms of for an e-commerce to successfully navigate in what is today a very competitive market. And, uh, you know, we think if you try to compete just on price against the likes of Amazon, that's a very difficult proposition. But we did, he did come up with four strategies that made a lot of sense to us and that we, like I said before, agree with. His first strategy was, you know, for the company to have proprietary pricing. An example of that would be the Guild Group, Thrillist, and Rulala, or other flash sale companies that offer temporary price breaks on goods. So they're offering, again, at specific times, a unique set of goods at unique pricing. The second strategy that he looked at was sort of a company that had proprietary selection, uh, you know, a site that has a very narrow but deep focus for a particular audience. Examples that he gave were such companies as Modcloth, which focuses on vintage clothing, or Nasty Gal. Uh, again, the, uh, the merchandise might not be exclusive, but you get the feel of as an exclusive set of products that are being offered by the website. You know, the third strategy they looked at was sort of a site that had a proprietary experience. You know, sites that created new models of engagement for their customers. Uh, sites as Birchbox, which is a beauty discovery platform, or JustFab, which focuses on shoes or bags. These sites offer customers a monthly subscription service. And again, we think it's a new business model that's very interesting in the e-commerce world. 
Uh, and finally, he looked at a fourth strategy, which was a company that had proprietary merchandise. These are sites that are trying to build their own brands with e-commerce as its core distribution channel. An example would be Bonobus, which, again, he is CEO of, and they focus on menswear. And a lot of folks have also heard of Warby Parker, which focuses on eyewear. So when we look at the market, again, we think it has to be a unique differentiation, and those four uh, categories, proprietary pricing, proprietary selection, proprietary experience, or proprietary merchandise, seem to be a focus of the companies today that you know, we view as successful uh, in the e-commerce arena. That's interesting. And that's the CEO of Bonobus. Right. And his name is Andy Dunn. To a degree, you've just, I think you've just answered the next question I was going to ask, which I was going to pose a kind of a hypothetical to you here, and it's, it's this. Say I'm a, an e-commerce merchant that sells a physical product in a niche market. What should I do to prepare my company for sale? And I think you just said do one of do these four strategies. Would, would that be your answer to that question? Or? Well, be part of it because you assume you have to have a successful company, and to be successful, I'm not saying you have to have one of those four strategies. Is that he looked at the market over a very long time, and we've been spending a significant amount of time as well looking at it, and so we agreed with you know with his view of the market. But so I say that's a given because if you're not successful, you're not going to be able to look at a potential sale. Uh, the other factor that I tell a lot of the companies that we speak with, you know, before, as we're discussing uh, potential sale mandates a year from now or two years from now, is to establish a strong board of directors. You know, find members of the community that you think can add value to your company that complement your skill set and invite them to be part of your board of directors. You know, hold quarterly meetings, ask for their opinions, ask for their feedback. Again, find experts, if you can, that are willing to spend time with you, whether it's for cash or for stock in your company, but that really round out a management team that you've developed. We also tell companies that it's very important to run your company like you're going to be for sale tomorrow. And what does that mean? That means have financial information available. Uh, keep very good records. If you don't have audited financial statements, you know, speak to an accountant about getting reviewed financial statements. Most companies that make acquisitions really want to know that the numbers you're setting them have been confirmed by an outside CPA firm. You know, and the third thing we tell people is really focus at you know, what time, at what point in time should you go to market in terms of selling your company. And ideally, you're picking a time where you know, the trends in your company are very strong, sales increasing rapidly, the uh, customer acquisition is going very well, um, the sector is doing exceptionally well. Try to time it so that you're taking advantage of sort of market or specific company dynamics. What is your, stepping back just for a sec, uh, what is your overall view of the online retail industry? Again, I think it's, you know, very, very competitive. I think you, if you look at, you know, the success of Amazon, and all the companies that tried to compete with them, you know, the successful ones like Zappos or Diapers.com, they acquired. But there was thousands and thousands of companies that either went out of business or are struggling because Amazon has built up, you know, the largest distribution system. They could afford to price the products on very thin margins because, again, they're in this for the next hundred years. And like Andy said, I think at some point they'll be the largest retailer, you know, certainly in the country and potentially the world. 
And so they could afford to have a very long-term strategy in terms of pricing their goods. And, like, it goes back to the, the four strategies to try to compete with them on price. You're not going to win. Let's, let's talk about your firm for a sec. Evan, uh, you're a managing director of Berkery Noise, which is a mergers and acquisitions firm. Could you tell us about your company? Well, I think that's it. Our firm has been in business 30 years. Uh, we have 25 professionals. You know, we're an independent investment bank. We provide M&A advisory services to middle market companies. You know, one of the sectors I cover is online media, and within that, we look at the e-commerce arena as being part of that sector. So we have very strong coverage in the sectors that we focus on. Uh, we also raise capital for companies. Uh, we've closed over 500 transactions as a firm, and we close about 20 transactions a year. And again, I think when you look at our organization, each member of the senior management team, the managing directors all have 20-plus years of experience. So it's a very deep uh, group of senior professionals that have, you know, very long history within the sectors that they cover. We addressed a minute ago what an e-commerce merchant should do uh, to prepare his company uh, for an eventual sale. To follow up on that question, how would you determine as a, as a, as a professional, an M&A professional, how, would you how do you determine valuation for a company? That's a great question. Uh, there's three methodologies that most bankers use in determining value. One, you look at the company and you try to find other public companies that are similar to that company. So, again, uh, that gives you some indication of what the public markets value a company in a specific space. The second methodology we use is we look at past M&A transactions, again, for a similar company as possible to the one in question. So if uh, there's another company out there like WhatsApp, um, we would sort of look at the Facebook transaction as just one of as many transactions as we can find. Again, when you're looking at such a large transaction, generally the leader in the space, there's a premium paid for that. But again, you know, we try to find 10, 15, 20 transactions that are similar to the one that we're uh, looking at to come up with how in the public markets, other companies have been valued from an M&A perspective. And the third methodology is, is called the discount cash flow methodology, and that's where we look at projections based on management's belief over the next three to five years in terms of how they're going to perform. Uh, we look at the cash flows generated from those revenue streams, and then we discount those cash flows back at a discount value that takes into consideration the risk that a potential buyer is going to uh, take on by buying that company. And generally, we look at all three of those methodologies and come up with a, our best guess in terms of value of that organization. So we look at the public market comps, we look at public M&A transactions, and then we look at the DCF, and together it gives you a pretty good sense of uh, how to value an organization. What if a company comes to you, Evan, that is, has developed a revolutionary technology, if I could use that term, and there is no precedent and there is no comps, and it's a technology that, that in your company's view, is going to rewrite or disrupt a major, another industry? What method would you apply to that? Well, it becomes much more challenging when you're talking early-stage companies 
again, there's always some example of another company. It might not be the exact same industry, but someone that's come up with technology that's revolutionized a particular industry. I think the challenge is, you know, finding a believer, finding a strategic acquirer that could see and validate that technology and can realize how valuable that you know, piece of technology is, and they could come up with their own analysis of the cash flow that could be generated if they incorporate that technology into their product or service. Um, we would try to do the same. Uh, it's just a matter of understanding sort of how that technology is going to revolutionize an industry. Is it going to decrease costs dramatically? Is it going to facilitate uh, more ad views? I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but the, the goal is to come up with projections and then discount those at an applicable discount rate to take into consideration the risk that you know, the revenue streams that you're predicting you know, don't come true. But I think it becomes much more challenging to value companies when they're early stage because, again, you don't have as much comparable information. Evan, we have just another minute or so left uh, in our time today. Anything else on your mind? No, I think the only other interesting fact that we covered in our report is that we looked at um, the transactions based on the number of transactions and the value of transactions. And what we found is if you look at on the volume of transactions, the strategic community you know, took, uh, purchased 87% of all transactions, the 1,200 transactions that we looked at for the first six months. Now, if you looked at it in terms of deal value, the strategics you know, purchased 72% uh, based on deal value. And that's, you know, very, very typical because we found that financial investors tend to pursue larger transactions on average than strategic acquirers. And the only other point that I would add that it's a good environment, like I mentioned early on for M&A, it's also a good environment to raise capital to help uh, companies that need additional capital to add from a technology standpoint, from a sales and marketing standpoint, an infrastructure standpoint. It's just a very good environment today to, to raise capital. To uh, follow up on what you just said, a strategic investor would be like a competitor? or A competitor or another company that com- you know, has a complementary product or service that um, you know, can take what you've developed and you know, add it incorporated into its existing organization. So strategic means it's not a financial institution that just manages capital upon, you know, on behalf of third parties. It's an operating company. Is how we you know, view a strategic uh, acquirer. Okay. Well, for purposes of our listeners, we've been visiting with Evan Klein. Evan is the managing a managing director of Berkery Noise, which is a mergers and acquisition firm. Uh, Evan specializes in the online and mobile segments of of, of that firm. The website of Berkery Noise is just that, berkerynoise.com. Let me spell that. That's B as in boy, E-R-K-E-R-Y, noise, N as in Nancy, O-Y-E-S, com, And Evan Klein, a managing director for that firm, we want to thank you for your time today, sir. Thanks, Karen. Greatly appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience.